and welcome to Chuck P TV podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Privetera. We are beginning here a very special episode as it is since the pandemic effectively began. Uh, this is season three, the first episode of season three. I started this podcast in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, and it morphed into uh, conversations that were relevant. And I think we're going to continue that here today for sure with my uh, very special guest and a, and a good friend, Ray Goldberg. Ray is most recently a global benefits director for a Fortune 250 company. He brings a wealth of experience to the benefit conversations and some of the more relevant topics that we faced in 2020. So I'm going to let Ray spend a minute or two giving you his bio. Ray, welcome to the show. Chuck, I'm really excited. It is 51 weeks ago that my town at least went into lockdown as the as the town with the most significant uh, uh, COVID-19 presence in the state of New Jersey. And uh, it's nice that today it's 60 degrees out and um, we got vaccines on the way. So hopefully this uh, starts to be behind us. Um, I've spent a few decades leading uh, significant uh, change efforts in a variety of arenas in the HR space in large firms at, at Deutsche Bank, at Bankers Trust, at Lucent, at Marshall McLennan Companies. And, um, you know, how to bring about big change uh, in complex organizations is uh, is a thing that turns me on. And I've always been excited by the fact that I was doing that in the HR space, in areas that actually mattered to people as well as to the organizations. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, Ray. Um, I'm, I'm excited about some of the things that we're going to cover today. I think probably the most relevant, and it, it's it seems like an easy question, but it's, it's Something that, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you, like, what you've been up to for the last 12 months, but I, I'm sure it differs from what you thought you were going to be up to uh, 12 months ago. So so tell me tell me about what you've been doing. Yeah, so um, I haven't been making any sourdough bread. That isn't me. My wife is, is the baker in the family. She's terrific, <laughs> but I'm not going to try to supplant that. I have no chance. Um, I've been uh, spending a lot of time with my kids. I have uh, some college age and grad school age uh, kids. We, we've got five sons, and they've mostly been home for almost all that time, which was not where they where things stood before the pandemic hit. Um, that's actually been wonderful, as we can talk about. Um, I've been spending time doing crossword puzzles, which is one of the things that I always really like. And over the last year, I've continued my habit of sometimes doing the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, but I've also uh, grown to love the New Yorker crossword puzzles. Um, so if you're a crossword puzzle fan, I encourage you to take a look at those. Uh, and I've been reading and watching movies. Um, I'll, I'll throw out one book recommendation, uh, which is Deacon King Kong, a recent book, which is a great piece of fiction um, that actually takes place in a complex, multicultural neighborhood in Brooklyn over the course of decades. It's a great book. Um, and uh, watching some you know, fun movies, including some old family favorites like Princess Bride and B-Movie. Uh, but I've also done some reading and movie watching in the area of systemic inequity, which I'm sure we're going to end up talking about. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out a couple of recommendations there too. the movie 13th, which um, really uh, opened my eyes uh, to some things that I was not aware of before. And uh, my two favorite books so far in this space are So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo and Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. So that's some of what I've been doing without trying to sound too preachy, but that's what I've been up to. That um, sounds like a productive year. And it's there. Uh, it sounds like a year of reflection, some learning, some family. It's uh, that's that's all good. I want to stay on this for a second because uh, many, many of our listeners may not know that you and I are part of a 
what we've come to formally know as the social justice salon. And that's where we've read a couple of these books. And I think um, one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about, and maybe you have some advice for, for folks out there that are looking that maybe like us that had uh, wanted to get more involved in the social justice issues that 2020 exposed that um, and didn't know how to. And maybe talk for a minute or two about what, what you maybe give some advice on how to start a, a book club for allies or um, what you feel is the benefit of this. Yeah. So I think, Chucky, the words you used are exactly the right words, which were learning and reflection. And I think if you approach um, if you approach this topic with those things in mind, you, you, you can make some good progress. I, I, I think for me personally, I, I, I think for you, too, but certainly and, and for others in the group. But for me personally, um, <clears throat> every bit of stuff that I read on this space widens my sense of how pervasive um, the systemic inequities are. And what that means is you really need to start by reading, um, at, at least for me. I'm also, you know, as you can hear, I'm a reader. Um, and that is one of the ways in which I learn. Maybe some people watch better by watching, you know, movies and videos. And there's plenty of great stuff out there, too. Um, but we've been working our way through a series of books. I think we're up to book four or five or six now. I've lost track. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'm actually in two book groups, as I think, you know, Chuck, one of them uh, meets once a month and we talk about a book. Um, and we talk about, you know, we read the book and then we talk about it for an hour and then we're done. And that is useful. But I think the way we've been doing it is is more useful, which is we've been meeting once a week. We're working our th way through these books at no predefined pace, sort of whatever seems to work. When we trip over a subject that seems to raise questions for us or highlights our own experiences, we spend time and, and talk about it. And I think it takes a little bit of time for people to start really being um, open. And if I can use the cliched word vulnerable enough to say, you know, I had this experience and I didn't like the way I handled it, or I don't know if I handled it the right way, or are there other ways I could have handled it? Um, I can think of an example you mentioned last night. I can think of an example I mentioned a few uh, months ago where I, I did nothing in the circumstance and was uncomfortable that I had done nothing and wasn't sure what I should have done. So those are, you only get here by, by having conversations. But I think the truth is that there's essentially the more I read, um, the more I know I need to read, and the more I understand, the more I become aware that there is still to understand. It's it's a I, I, my big piece of advice is just start. Yeah, you, you, you know you can't get it wrong. You doing nothing is the only really surefire way to get it wrong. You know, and, I, and that's the that's the advice right there. And I think for me, it's it's the issue of trying to answer the some questions on your own. Um, is where we get into trouble. And so, you know, questions like you mentioned that I've raised in the group around situations that I should have or didn't handle the way I thought I should, where else? And very often the answer is I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have too many places to go to, to ask that question. And then I wouldn't learn and I may uh, stifle my growth. I mean, I will stifle growth. So so I, I agree, it's just get it started. And um, and that's that's great advice. So one of the things that I know you've been up to um, is something called PF or uh, Peer Forward. Why don't you share a little bit about that with us, about some of the next steps that you're trying to, to accomplish there? Because I think it's wonderful work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And I, I obviously would be happy to do that. So um, this company that I formed called Peer Forward, um, it's spelled P-I-E-R. 
Um, so let me just start by explaining the name. The supporting pillars that are under bridges and highways <clears throat> are actually called piers. Um, not just the things that jut out into the water, but those pillars that, that support it. I've got a friend who's a structural engineer and, you know, he, he confirms that, not just what they say in books. Um, and our purpose is to build peers to move people and organization forward, or people and organizations, excuse me, forward. Um, and I think the most important place to start is actually with facts. And if you step back and take a look at some of the macro statistics that are out there around uh, systemic inequity, they're, they're kind of astounding. Um, there's a McKinsey estimate that uh, plugging the racial wealth gap would actually add a trillion dollars to the U.S. economy. And since most of us don't have any idea how big the U.S. economy is in total, that's four to six percent of the U.S. economy that would be added. It's huge. We've got an estimate of 100,000 lives a year that could be saved if black and white mortality was the same. And I saw a stat just the other day that says that um, women's household wealth is about 32 percent lower than that of men. Complicated analysis depends on which factors you include and exclude. But I, to me, as I looked at it, the, the safest number to work with is 32 percent less. Those are astounding. And I think if you look at it from the perspective of uh, organizations, from an HR practice, that's a tremendous loss of, of, of the value of human capital that we could be um, that we could be taking advantage of. And for society, obviously, the same. So I think if I if I summarize what I'm thinking about doing and, and how what I think companies can do, it's to do three things. It's to remove barriers, to build supports, and thereby to improve outcomes. So let me throw out, and st Chuck, you got to stop me because I could go on for an hour here. But, <laughs> Keep uh, going. But if I talk about removing barriers, I think about uh, the fact that turnover on average is higher for people of color. So if you've got waiting periods for your medical plans or you've got waiting periods for your 401k or vesting periods for your 401k, that's inadvertently skewing against people of color by virtue of higher turnover. Not because you intend for it to work that way, but that is the outcome. Um, there are there's some great data emerging on <clears throat> how significant, <clears throat> excuse me, lump sum healthcare expenses are. Um, a recent analysis points out that you know how many people incur that sort of nearly full year out of pocket maximum in a very short period of time, including a tremendous number of people who will incur it in a day. So if you've got a lot of money in the bank and where you have a high income, you can weather that. If you don't, that becomes a huge challenge, irrespective of what race, color, creed, gender, sexual preference, that whatever it is, you, you are or have. So um, those, those are huge uh, challenges. Um, you've got student loan repayments. Student loan debt is a huge, a huge item. There's a million, excuse me, a trillion and a half dollars in student loan debt outstanding, of which women hold about 60%. And unfortunately, people of color have higher loan balances, take a much longer time to pay them off. And a higher percentage of uh, Black Americans in particular um, cite their student loan debt as uh, being a particular obstacle to their educational advancement more than uh, white Americans. So th there are there are just barriers everywhere. So I'll stop for a second and we can, we can go forward on supports. But sure. Um, le let me just kind of pick a couple things here to to chat further about. So so to the average HR person who's listening, this is a a conversation that you want to have around benefit design that can improve. Um, inclusion in, in the benefits that can make the benefits more inclusive of 
everyone because it seems that they're most inclusive of of white employees now is that is that fair I think it's fair. I think, you know, most things that one does in society, one tends to work off of, quote, the default. And unfortunately, in our society, white male is the default. So things are always held up as, okay, how does that work for these people? And you got to really step back and look at how does it work for every population, economically disadvantaged, geographically, um, you know, located in different places. Um, All all of those, uh, all of those dimensions should play into it. So when we, when we talk about diversity and if, if I'm and if I'm a listener here and I'm my company is really focused after 2020 on on diversity issues and our primary concerns are uh, hiring appropriately uh, workforce development to make sure that we're getting more inclusive leadership uh, focusing on everything from overtime to you know things like that that and and, and really tearing things apart why why are benefits uh, an important piece of this conversation? Yeah. So first of all, to be clear, all the things you just mentioned absolutely have to be tackled and should be tackled. Um, so don't please don't read anything I'm about to say um, as, as saying the benefits is more important than those things. Those things are really, really critical. <clears throat> but while we're trying to figure out how to get more people of color into your organization and at higher levels and make sure they get developed, what are you doing to take care of them while they're there? Right, right where they are, what are you doing to take care of them? And there are there are just other things that can be done. There are people who are you know, if I can, if I can talk about some of the support ideas, there are people who are nervous about putting money into 401ks because they're going to lose money potentially is how they see it. Well, there are ways to get at that. You can put initial contributions into some super safe contributions. One of, one of the states has actually done that with their backup retirement program. You can push for telehealth to be used more, uh, more aggressively so that especially people who are more tethered to their desk during the day can actually get that care when they need it and when their doctors are available. You could be making bigger investments in the community, in the doctors in the community, in hospitals in the community, in educational institutions in the community. We saw the, uh, you know, the NBA All-Star game this past week um, was featured a lot of discussions about uh, HBCUs, which is terrific. And Mackenzie Scott and her recent donations, you know, huge donations to many institutions that serve people of color, including HBCUs also pushing that topic further. But what can organizations be doing? Um, is there a way to direct more of our educational uh, matching contributions, for example, to institutions like that? If, if you look at the things that we are already doing as large employers, nearly every one of them offers an opportunity to do something specifically to help move this forward. So that's that kind of plays into what what really I've, I've heard in, in diversity circles, and it's, um, the time for talk about diversity has has come, and it, it it's been here for a long time. But, but I think when you when you've when you've done all the work and you get all the right talent and and you're doing all the right things, we want them to be included, right? And this is really a, a function of the inclusion piece of making sure that when I come to work for you and as I get promoted through the ranks, I can look at the benefit program and this and say this was designed for me as an employee of your organization. Right. So, so exactly that. It's not just the specific features and, and all that stuff that actually make it work for me, but there's also a message there. And my, my personal take is that there's nothing that hits employees or makes an impact on employees more personally than benefits. You want to talk about what's really personal to employees? It's their health and it's their wealth. And, and it's deeply personal. Not everybody wants to talk about it, and that's, that's okay. But that's the stuff that can really make a tremendous emotional impact. 
And that's um, one of the things that I wanted to cover today is this idea of of safety and and not necessarily, I don't mean, you know, driving forklifts around the warehouse safety. I mean, in 2020, employees, people in general, started to feel less safe, whether it's financial, whether it's physical. And I think there's plenty of at least um, evidence that that safety, that feeling of safety or even fragility um, affected communities of color and, and, and probably women more than anybody. Does that make sense? No doubt about it. I mean, we've unfortunately seen that um, illness rates, that death rates, that hospitalization rates are higher uh, in general for communities of color, um, that mental health has been a strain for absolutely everybody. And if you think about what it is to help employees feel safe, if it, you know, if you ask me if what's the number one thing to do, it's, it's mental health. Um, there's, there's something about being cooped up in houses, about being told that there's a list as long as your arm of things you can't do, um, including that human contact that we also desperately crave, um, that really jeopardizes mental health. And we know that mental health ultimately affects physical health. And that physical health affects productivity and productivity affects wealth. There's, a, there's just a chain there that it, it's all connected. And um, it's so important to let employees know that we know that they're grappling with stuff. Again, part of it is just the letting people know that we know where they are um, and letting them know that it's okay and teaching manor, managers how to have empathic conversations that still recognize the company's need to be productive and, and to serve its clients. And that's a probably a more difficult balancing act for managers, but we got to we got to start by making sure that people know that it's okay to to have those issues. Yeah, and I think you you believe like I do that a more thoughtful benefits plan can be a an, a useful tool when it comes to making employees feel more safe. There's no doubt about it. It just sends the message that we we care about you in totality, and we're actually providing facilities and, and resources and, and people and, and subsidies and all those things to actually make you feel and be less, um, make you feel and be more safe um, and less right. at risk. Um, the, the, you know, the, the typical large company has so many benefits available that many employees don't even know what they all are. Um, and I can recall a whole bunch of years ago, I had uh, somebody in the company I was with call me up and say they had just gotten an RFP from some company. And because of a circumstance in this guy's life, he's thinking that this would be a great benefit to offer our employees. He said, you know, I totally agree with you. And in fact, we sent a mailer to your home a month ago. This is a true story um, about the fact that we now offer that benefit to all of our employees. Now, you know, you don't notice it if you don't, if you don't happen to need it, right? First of all, you get a whole bunch of mail, a lot of which you right. don't even really need to read, but unless you need it at the time, you don't even notice it. So part of this is a challenge about how we, how do we let people know that there is all this stuff out there, giving them a place to turn uh, to see what, you know, for have, to have them look to us to see whether we can be of help to them. Yeah. And I think you and I um, are on a similar track here. And, and one of the th things that I wanted to touch on was when we first started on un uncovering some of these issues, it was more, it was more like, a, Oh, wow. Okay. Look at this. We've got to fix this. And it, it from from me personally, anyway, it was, okay, wow, there's a discrepancy in savings rates in 401k plans. I didn't realize that. Here might be a couple of reasons why. Let's start to address this. But I think this conversation has grown from a, 
let's get everybody equal again to a, we can close or help mitigate, I think is a better phrase, the health and wealth gaps by, by, by really um, focusing in a, um, in a critical manner on our benefits programs. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. There's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, and I think this is a different lens with which to look at benefits. And in this day where, as you described it, in which the systemic inequities have, have been just grown more prominent for, uh, frankly, a variety of bad reasons, but they have grown more prominent. So let's leverage that and let's work it. There, this is a lens with which you can look at things. And if you just use that lens, you'll find opportunities everywhere you look. And there's, uh, I've, I've had, I've spoken on this in the past and I'll, and I'll, I'll share an example with you. I did have one person say to me, you know, I think I, I know where the problem is in 401k plan savings rates. I've seen our communication materials. They do not speak to everyone in our workforce. They speak to a very select few people, you know, and she asked me straight up, Chuck, how would you mitigate that? And my, my first response was, you know, maybe you have, a, a black employee who's who's closer to retirement speak to a black employee who's just getting started um, in, in lieu of revamping your entire communications package. But um, but give us an example. I mean, are we talking about totally redesigning communications? Are we talking about uh, easy fixes here? Or are we talking about things that are going to require a little bit of work? I think it's both. Um, I think they start with easy fixes. So you and I have talked about this example of a of an older white couple with a golf club standing on a golf course. And uh, despite the fact that I would identify as a white male, that image doesn't speak to me at all. I've literally never picked up a golf club and, and swung it on a golf course <laughs> and neither is my wife. So my vision of retirement is actually being surrounded by children and grandchildren. So it's like, even that doesn't speak to, to what you would think of as the stereotypical audience. So listen, part of it is that, right? Those are easy fixes. Um, but there are more complicated things. The example you mentioned of, of trying to make sure that their people are speaking to people who are like them, whatever that means, is important. An amazing study from a few years ago showed that um, black male patients, the study happened to be connected on black male patients, um, were willing to follow the recommendations of black male doctors much more so than other doctors with whom they met. They were you know, assigned randomly. It was a very well-designed study. Um, and they were willing to follow the recommendations for all of the screening tests that the doctor recommended, no matter how invasive, blood tests, uh, radiology, whatever it was, much more so than if, they, if the doctor wasn't a black male. Now, that's just human nature. There's, a, there's an ability to connect that I think is innate. You talk to people who are like you, again, whatever that means, um, and, and it's easier to connect. So I would say in, in our large organizations, what are we doing with our employee resource groups? You know, we talk about employee resource groups thinking predominantly about some of the other issues you mentioned around hiring, around promotion, around feeling included. But are there ways that those groups can help you as an, as an employer, as an organization, figure out how to reach those populations? Can you get those people involved in your presentations and your meetings? Can you get your senior black leaders to get up and, and, and say things in the audiences in, in which they're relevant? So it's, it's sort of all of the above. It start with the easy stuff, work the hard stuff, work every angle, and figure out what works for your organization. Not every organization is the same. Not every talent population is the same. Yeah, boy, the ERG sounds like the right place to start with this conversation for sure. There's nothing like asking for advice um, from people who you're trying to reach. 
No doubt. No doubt. I, um, just a couple things before we sort of wrap up. Um, and you know, it's kind of the same question, but, um, you know, what, what have you learned from 2020 as the, as a unique year? Um, and, and I asked, I've asked this of a couple other guests that I've had, you know, we're, we're coming out of 2020 We're it feels like we're still in it, but we're coming out of this, um, scenario, if you will, and we're going to emerge and that life's going to go on. What will we have learned? I mean, there should be some gifts presented to us from this. I mean, if, you know, God forbid, it's all for nothing. Yeah. I mean, we, we hopefully we've learned something. Do you have anything that you, you see as emerging as, as maybe a gift? I, 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 have, a, you, I have a few things. And, I, and I, again, I could talk for a long time and I'll try not to. But one is I think we've learned how important human contact is. Um, so the only business meeting that I've had in person over the last year uh, Chuck was you and I getting together in a backyard for a cup of coffee, you know, a month and a half ago, sitting in our coats in the cold. Um, and it is amazing how valuable that human contact is. Um, we didn't get to shake hands. We didn't get to hug, you know, all those other things that we all still crave, but there's something about being with people in person. Um, I think distance has been replaced by zoom um, in a lot of cases. Um, I've been able to attend meetings and conferences in different cities and countries in a day. Time zones still matter, it turned out, it turns out, but distance matters less. Um, I think we've gotten a little more relaxed about interruptions and imperfections. You know, on those Zoom calls, I've got one friend often whose cat walks across the screen. Um, we've <laughs> talked with uh, your son in the background, Chuck. We, my kids are older. They tend not to want to be in the same room as me, so not as big a deal. Um, other people. You know, the other night we were on our, on our book club and I had to make sure to watch my language because one of the members had their young son in the background, right? So, um, you know, right. I, but I think it's good for us to recognize that the people that we're talking to are first and foremost, actually uh, people. Um, and, and, and the other thing that I would say, and this, I, I don't want to end it on a downer, but I think there's an upside to this statement. The, the HBO film about the Chernobyl disaster has an amazing line in it, which is... Um, Every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. Sooner or later, that debt is paid. And that sounds really dramatic about Chernobyl. But if you think about COVID, it is clear that people have died unnecessarily. Um, and by the way, many more people have died from COVID than died from Chernobyl. And, you know, if we could teach ourselves to just face the facts, whatever they are, and then figure out what to do about them, you know, you, you start by approaching the facts without blame, just they're facts. If we could figure out what to do about them and be honest about what they are, then maybe we can make changes. And I think that's certainly true of the systemic inequity. It continues to be true about our approach to, to COVID. Uh, and it'll be true, I think, forever about whatever challenges come our way. And they will no doubt be different, you know, five years from now than they were this year. Well, that was, and that's really well said. And I remember that line very well from the the movie or the uh, the miniseries. And I thought that was spectacular as as well. Uh, it's very powerful. Do you uh, you have any parting thoughts, Ray? Because this has really been a blast. And I know we could spend all day um, I here. I have loved spending time with my kids. We've been having dinner together most nights. Um, and I that's given me a much more up-close perspective than you typically get on what your kids are doing in college and grad school. Um, and as a perfect example of that, that that line about the Chernobyl uh, disaster, I actually haven't watched the miniseries yet. My kids have been encouraging me to, and one of them particularly drew my attention to that line. So 
there's a lot of opportunity to learn from everybody around us. And I've, I've benefited from that. And I suspect many of us have. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there is one, actually one more thing that I, that I just thought of that I want before we close that I wanted to just uh, chat with you about real quick. And it's the idea that um, uh, you're, you're looking for some, for some beta clients for pure form, I sure am. right? Um, I, I think that um, th these are, these are techniques which I'm becoming clearer and clearer on and mocking up what analyses would look like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, you know, if I can paraphrase the old, uh, I think it was the army of the Marines. We know we're looking for a few good beta clients. Um, so, um, so <laughs> absolutely. Great. And, and Chuck, in the nature of sort of, you know, learning and reflecting i want to just go back over a phrase that i used earlier which i don't which i'm not happy with i used the term sexual preference earlier which in some cases may be true but sexual identity is actually the more a more appropriate phrase and again in the spirit of we all got to keep learning and sometimes we make mistakes let me just correct that and uh, there well that's uh, I'm, I'm glad you did and you know this is what it's about right ray is just uh um the being authentic and recognizing that uh, I was just reading something from someone you and I both know, Jennifer Brown, and it's that, you know, the, obviously words matter, but the, the terminology and the words are yeah. changing. And, and it's okay if we, if we get it wrong, we just need to learn and continue to grow and, and continue to, you know, just acknowledge that, uh, you know, we've, we've made a mistake and, and we're, we're happy to correct it. Yeah. Great. Well, Ray, I can't think of a better way to spend a half an hour and, and I look forward to, to, you know, much, much further work with you in the future. And um, we, this podcast will um, be promoted over social media. So anybody that wants to uh, get in touch with Ray certainly can do that through me or, or through, through you. Is there a email address um, that you want to give her? You can reach me at, that... uh, by, on Twitter. My handle is Ray Goldberg. Um, or by email, raygoldberghr at gmail.com. Perfect. Great. Well, Ray, thanks so much for your time today. And, um, and, and again, look forward to, to, to seeing Pure Forward grow and continue, continue so to much, grow. Chuck. You'd be well. Okay. Okay.